It's time for Caught on Tape with Doug Murin. And now your host, Doug Murin. Hey, thanks for joining us again today. Today's show, we're going to uh, go back with a, a message I presented uh, on love and how, how love works. Because uh, we, all, we all know that we need all the love we can get our hands around. So I'm going to launch right into the message right now, and I'll, I'll uh, magically appear later in the show with some words to share with you. If you turn with me to the Gospel of John, actually chapter 21. You, you can look at the 15th verse of this chapter. I want to start us off here because this little pericope, this incident in the life of Peter the Apostle, informs us very clearly that love is the only acceptable motive for what God has in mind on this planet. Verse 15 of John 21. The Bible shows us that Peter backslid, went back to fishing after uh, the Lord's crucifixion. Uh, he's been resurrected and they've had some notion that he's alive. In fact, he's been filled with spirit. They've been filled with spirit. They're aware that he is uh, in his post-resurrection body. And Simon's gone back fishing. He's frustrated with the whole thing. In fact, in verse 3, he's told the guys, he said, I'm going fishing. And he got the whole bunch of them to go fishing with him. And early in the morning, Jesus stood on the shore. They didn't recognize him. And he called out and he said, Friend, haven't you any fish? And they answered, No. So he said, Throw your net out on the right side of the boat and you'll find some. When they did, they weren't able to haul in the net because of the large number of fish. Then the disciple whom Jesus loved said to Peter, it is the Lord. And the disciple whom Jesus loved, of course, we know is John the Apostle, the author of this uh, book. As soon as Simon Peter heard him say, it is the Lord, he wrapped his outer garment around him, for he had taken it off. He's fishing in a nude for some reason, I guess, and jumped into the water. Let's hope he had, must have had his Fruit of the Looms on, too, but he put on his coat or something. Then the other disciples followed in the boat, and towing the net full of fish, for they were not far from shore. They were about a hundred yards. And when they landed, they saw a fire of burning coals there with fish on it and some bread. And Jesus said to them, Bring some of the fish you have caught. Simon Peter climbed aboard and dragged the net ashore, it was full of large fish, 153. But even with so many, the net was not torn. And Jesus said to them, Come and have breakfast. And none of the disciples dare ask Him, Who are you? They knew it was the Lord. And Jesus came and took the bread and gave it to them and, and did the same with the fish. And this was now the third time Jesus appeared to His disciples after He was raised from the dead. Now here's the key section of this chapter. And when they had finished eating... Jesus said to Simon Peter, Simon, son of John, do you truly love me more than these? And most of you have been in church at any time. For some, this will be news. He, you know, he uses the word agape. He says, do you have agape love for me? Could you, could you put in for me on the screen, frame number two, uh, uh, whoever's running the thing up there, okay. Okay. Uh, 
Okay, these are New Testament words for love. The fourth word is the word that is used in Jesus' question. Do you truly love me uh, more than these? This word agape is contrasted to three other words for love, which we saw last week. The first one is the word storge, which in a marriage relationship or in a relationship uh, that is characterized by love means shared responsibility or affection. It's the kind of responsibility that parents feel together for their children. It's a shared affection and an affection released in responsibility. Storge, family love, would be another way of saying it. The second word is philia, which is the word that uh, the city of Philadelphia gets its name. Does anybody remember easily the name of that? What that city means? Brotherly love. It means friendship. And it means a, a love that is based on shared goals. And the third word for love is the word eros, or shared attraction. Now, all of those three words, storge, philea, or eros, are words that describe aspects of the full-orbed view of love, but they are all what we could call needs-based love. They are inferior to agape in that people love in these forms based on a need to be and to give love. They are also, all of them, characterized as emotional love. You You should write that down. These are forms of love that deal with the emotions of man. Now, the word agape is a non-needs-based love. It means to love out of choice. It also means to not love out of emotion, but to love out of determination. Write that down. That's an important distinction. The word agape was rarely used at all in what we know as Koine Greek or the vulgar Greek spoken on the streets of of the Roman Empire. You know, Greece, uh, one time ruled, had an empire before Rome. Rome overcame the Greeks. But the Greek language continued to dominate and was kind of like the lingua franca or like English is today. Most of business stuff is done in English today. Well, in Jesus' time, most business was done in a form of, of Greek called Koine Greek. They rarely use this word agape. Paul and and other writers of the New Testament began to use this word agape because they needed another word for love that would go beyond mere human love. This word agape describes, and I want to use the word so you understand what I'm saying, unnatural love, with quotes around it. What I mean by that is it's unnatural in that it is supernatural. It's not love that comes natural to the human heart. Agape love is not consistent with the human personality. It is love that is provided supernaturally by the Holy Spirit. And it is this word agape that Christ is recorded to have used in asking Peter if he truly loved Jesus. Now here is Peter's response. Yes, Lord, he said, you know that I love you. And Jesus said, feed my lambs. And again Jesus said, Simon, son of John, do you truly love me? Now... When Peter responded earlier, he used this word philia. Jesus said, do you love me in the form of agape? And, and, and Peter said, I, I'm not sure I'm ready to, to attest to that, but I, but I, do, I do feel fondly of you. I'm, uh, I'm your friend. And Jesus asked him again, and then Peter says, yes, Lord, you know I love you. Then Jesus said, take care of my sheep. In verse 17, the third time he said, Simon, son of Jonah, do you love me? And he uses the word agape again determined, unnatural, supernatural love. 
And Peter was hurt because Jesus asked him a third time, do you love me? And he said, Lord, you know all things, I love you. And in that passage, Peter then uses the word agape. And Jesus said, feed my sheep. He says, I tell you the truth, when you were younger, you dressed yourself and went where you wanted. But when you were old, you, stretch, you will stretch out your hands. Someone else will dress you and they'll lead you uh, where you do not want to go. And, and then it's interpreted here to, is to describe that Peter would be crucified. And in fact, we know historically that Peter was crucified upside down. Well, what, what is my point in beginning with this passage? This is obviously the last recorded one-on-one conversation that Jesus ever had with any of his followers before being ascended into heaven. Now, he had a general teaching scene that happened in Acts chapter 1. But in this section, it's the last one-on-one personal interaction that Christ has with one of his followers. And his primary concern is that Peter would do whatever he did from the standpoint of love. What he is saying is love is the only motif that is acceptable in the church of Jesus Christ. Whatever we do must be done on a basis of love. Whatever our actions, whatever our inclinations, our visions and dreams, if not motivated by love, we're doomed. That's what Jesus was saying here. If you love me, if you love Christ first, you'll be motivated to express and do loving things. Turn with me to 1 Corinthians 13. And I want to suggest to you that Peter was uncomfortable with this whole idea of the Lord probing him about the issue of love. In, I think it was 1915, I might have the year wrong, but I think it was 1915, a man named Rudolf Otto wrote a book, a German guy, and he wrote a book titled The Idea of the Holy. Actually, it was originally called Das Heilige, which means the holy. And in this book, he wrote a whole lot, it's a long book. I went and tried to find one the other day and I couldn't buy it, and so I Xeroxed one off from the library. Because it had been a long time since I'd read it and I wanted to work back through it again. And, and Rudolf Otto did a study of the Bible and he also wanted to know why some people had an aversion to God. And he studied this and he studied this and he said primarily man... Kind has a problem with knowing God because of what he called the mysterium tremen. Anybody ever heard of that? Mysterium tremen. Which basically means when unloving man comes in contact with God who is love and God who is holy, that it frankly tears us apart. And he will use, for example, the incident of Isaiah 6 where Isaiah saw the Lord in his train filling the temple and he actually uses in the Hebrew language this word that I'm coming, becoming disintegrated, is what he says. I am undone, he uses the word. It means I'm being disintegrated in the presence of God. And he heard the angels cry, holy, holy, holy. And Rudolf Otto suggests that there is several aspects of this mysterium tremen that is one of the reasons a lot of people try to avoid God. One is his overpoweringness. It's, we as creatures don't like the creature feeling. Uh, we've been listening to a message I uh, probably have presented a number of times over the years and happy that it's freshly coming out now. Let me tell you how you can help us with the show. Uh, it does take some resources. We have some generous people who've stepped up and helped us out with a great deal of it. But if you would like to support us, what we have is an offer uh, this month for any who can help us financially. It's called A Way Through the Wilderness, a great book by Jamie Buckingham. And the reason I've chosen this book 
is one Jamie was one of my dearest friends, and I think this is one of the finest books ever written on the Exodus crossing. It is loaded with tremendous insights that you rarely find anywhere else, and it's a great book. I'm I'm going to send it to you for whatever gift you can give to help us stay on the air. It's called The Way Through the Wilderness. All you have to do is you can do one of three things. You can either uh, go to our PayPal, which is Doug Murin at PayPal. Leave your address. The book will go out to you. Or you can send any size contribution to Caught on Tape or just Doug Murin to 1806 Fifth Street, Wenatchee, W-E-N-A-T-C-H-E-E, Washington. Get this. Here's the zip. 98801. 1806 5th Street, Wenatchee, Washington. Send any size gift with your address. I'll get the book out to you. Or you can go to our website, which is DougMurinRadio.com. DougMurinRadio.com. And you can follow the donation section. And I'll make sure you get that book. It's a tremendous book. Not only will you help me, but I know I'm going to get to help you with this book. So God bless you. We do thank you for your support. If you would like a live radio show outreach at your church, just contact us at any of those numbers. Uh, my email is doug.murin at gmail.com. doug.murin at gmail.com. And we are starting to do some outreaches. I'm not doing a lot of them, but we are starting to do one. I hope you enjoy the show, and God bless you. Thank you for your generosity. I want to talk to you about two things we're doing uh, with what we call the Mirren Group. Uh, one is the radio show, which is uh, we've had requests to expand. It's a number of cities now, and we're kind of patiently going that way. Uh, but we also are doing schools of evangelism in churches. Uh, we, we find that most churches grow about 200 times better when they evangelize uh, on all respects. But only about 10% of any church are really that great at evangelism. And uh, I like to stretch that to 15. So the school of evangelism is designed to hit, take that 10 to 15% of people in your church and teach them how to share their faith naturally, easily. And fruitfully, I mean, to really pull off convincing uh, people of Christ. You know, I, I read recently in Christianity Today that about one half of uh, younger than baby boomer uh, people in church think evangelism is, in fact, uh, dishonest and uh, 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 savory. I, I looked at that and I thought, nah, it, answers to questions like that all depend on how you ask them. I, I think what they're saying is we're a little mystified by it. We don't know how all this works. We don't know how to posit uh, the gospel to people. I, I was walking downtown. A lot of it starts with prayer. I was walking downtown Seattle one day, and this guy walked up to me, just walked up to me. He said, are, are you a Christian? I said, yeah. You want to be one? And he said, yes. I led him to Christ. He ended up in the local church. So I've learned that a lot of it begins with simple things any of us can do, simply like pray. I mean, really, simply knowing how to pray for lost people. So I do that. And then we're also doing live radio shows. I've got some great team members, Caleb, who you hear on the show every once in a while, uh, Dr. Alec here Rogers and, and Gary Verrill. And, and these are great shows on either Wednesday night or Sunday night. And uh, people, you know, when I've done them before, people meet Christ in amazing, surprising ways. Bring your friends. And, and so if you want to be in on those, please pray for us as they happen and join us not only with the show, and uh, thank you for listening. Hope you enjoy the message today. And now back to more Caught on Tape with Doug Muir. So let's launch in now to verse 4, which is the character of love. Now I'd like you to take notes on this. We're going to read this quickly. I'm going to come back and break down these statements into four succinct statements. 
illustrate them a little bit, and then delve back into it for about five minutes, and we'll be out here by ten after uh, ten. Okay, verse four <clears throat> says, "Love is patient." Here's the character of love. When one comes into the mysterium tremen of God's love, you are aware that His love is patient, that His love is kind. It does not envy. It does not boast. It is not proud. It is not rude. It is not self-seeking. It is not easily angered. It keeps no records of wrongs. Love does not delight in evil, but rejoices with the truth. It always protects, always trusts, always hopes, always perseveres. Let's read that section together. If you have the right endorsed translation, the NIV, and those who live this perfectly may stand with me and read this. The rest may remain seated. Let's read together. Okay. Let's read together. Okay. Love is patient. Love is kind. It does not envy. It does not boast. It is not proud. It's not rude. It is not self-seeking. It is not easily angered. It keeps no record of wrongs. Love does not delight in evil, but rejoices with truth. It always protects, always trusts, always hopes, and always perseveres. And this Sunday we're going to see that the nature of our times is to squeeze this out of us, this kind of love, to make us basically heartless. Is love possible in the 90s? No. Not without the empowerment of the Holy Spirit and not without our regularly evaluating our lives as to whether they are heartless or heart-filled with His love. None of us, none of us can measure up to what we've just read without rigorous, constant self-evaluation of the best kind and the gracious outpouring of the Spirit of God in our life. Just going along mindlessly, you cannot live this way. Now, one of the things you'll find that he's saying is the character of love is this. It is not a feeling. It is primarily noted by its actions. Okay, please write that down. Because what he's really saying to the Corinthians is that they cannot talk about being fully loving people unless they realize they cannot be judged as loving on the basis of their intentions. And what you can't say to somebody, but I, but I just feel love for you. A lot of our expressions, and on all of us, in the body of Christ and family and friends, are utterly meaningless when we say, well, I love you. Because saying you love you, I love you, is an entirely different thing than actually doing it. How many have discovered that? It's really easy to say, I love you, because that's just a word, and can in fact be words that are in accord with our real feelings. But Paul says that this kind of love, agape love, can only be measured on the basis of actions. Which people can't know that you love them unless you're willing to act it out. Do you see how he's saying that? I think it's feeling a little warm in here uh, as well. So maybe the guys could kick the air on for me. What he's going to say, and I wish you'd write these four points down. I want to try and illustrate them. Love is recognized by some unusual traits. They're all verbal. They're all actionary. Number one. You want to write this down. He's going to show us, as you read this, you basically are going to have to conclude that when you love somebody, you're going to be incredibly vulnerable. Please write that down. When you love somebody, you're going to be incredibly vulnerable. 
It gives up all rights to protection. If you say, I want to be a loving person, then you are going to have to be vulnerable to people. I hate that point. Uh, how many parents felt pretty good uh, about the control you had over your kids? Some of you uh, can remember because you're kids and you remember. Uh, okay, let's do it two ways. Parents, how many are realizing how little control you really have over your kids? How many of you are kids... <laughs> kind of chuckle to yourself when I even say, are your parents aware of how little control they have over you? I, right. They have none. And, and what, we're, what we're talking about here is love is uncontrolling and love understands that we're incredibly vulnerable and is comfortable with that. It's one of the reasons that there is free will and the potential for sin on this planet is because God is love. That is a summary of the character of love. I'll review them again. It's incredibly vulnerable, sees a long-term and face of short-term problems, gives up control. Some of you men here need to give up control, really love. Fourthly, you need to be relentlessly optimistic about them. You need to be relentlessly optimistic. I heard the greatest story, Paul Kahn, who is the uh, dean of students at Lee College in the vicinity, I, I believe, of Washington, D.C. He was the middle child of 13 kids. His youngest brother had all, the, all these brothers, they, they had, three or four of his brothers had PhDs. Some, most of them were professors. One's a biology professor. And the poor third guy came along. I mean, the, the youngest, of, I think it was seven sons and the rest were sisters, came along and, and, and grew up in this family where all these brainy people are. And they're Christians. Their father's a pastor. And he, he got to be about 17, and he, he Paul Kahn's brother just couldn't, couldn't handle it. And he, he flunked out of school, just stopped doing his schoolwork, and dropped out of school, and started taking drugs, and really became a basic knothead, uh, like some people I know, and well, Mike Meeks and, and myself. And um, their mother was quite old quite elderly. father was close to retiring and, and Paul and his brothers went to his mother because it was about to break her health. She just couldn't stand seeing the little guy, I think his name was Ronnie. Little Ronnie was just messing his life up and they, they were really got excited because one day he joined the army and they thought, well, man, the army, if, if anybody can straighten this turkey out, the army will. And the guy went in the army and, and sure enough, he got a good drug trade going in the army and uh, did quite well in the army and Paul went to visit him and he said he could tell he was just really in bad, bad shape. had gotten into hard narcotics. And within a few weeks later had been busted, thrown in the brig, kicked out of the army, went down and lived on the streets down in Florida. He was making a cocaine deal down there and got arrested. And while he was there in jail, his family basically wrote him off. And Paul says they all went there in the living room and sat down with their mother all seven of the brothers and some of the sisters, and said they needed to pretend as though Ronnie wasn't even alive anymore. They, she needed to write him off before she broke his health totally. His mother said, but you don't see the Ronnie I see. She was relentlessly optimistic. She said, you see Ronnie the drug addict, but I know what that young man can be, and love won't let me let go. She kept praying for him and praying for him. And they're, they're all thinking the poor woman's losing their mind and they want to kill the guy. 
While he was in this county jail in Florida, someone came in there and had a, you know, one of those dumb jail services they have. And this guy gave his life to the Lord. He got out of jail and he asked Paul, his sisters, if they'd help him. He came back home and he started learning to read himself. And he, he enrolled in a junior college, got his GED, enrolled in junior college, and went through junior college and, and started figuring out how to read and started doing real well in school. And right now, uh, he, he just got through a few years ago uh, teaching at Yale University. He's a neurosurgeon, multiple PhD, teaches doctors about neurosurgery. And, and Paul Kahn says they have no doubt that it was this guy's mother's prayers that were, were relentlessly optimistic. And when everybody else saw a loser, she knew what God made Ronnie to be. And that was the basis of her relationship with him of what could be instead of what was. And that is love in action. And, and I want to close and just say, I have a feeling that when you get a congregation of people who will love with the fervor of a mother with a broken heart, that that community will be irreparably, irreparably released to righteousness and that community will literally have hell chased right out of it. There's power in that kind of love. Amen? You've been listening to this uh, message on love, and uh, you can hear this show and the others in this particular series, or any show, by going to kcisradio.com, and they'll be right there listed on the podcast. Or you can go to our website, which is dougmearnradio.com, dougmearnradio.com, and uh, you can you can catch the shows there on a podcast format. But Krista Radio's ready for you to hit them up and, and listen to it again and pass it around. We'd appreciate it. Caught on Tape with Doug Murin is a listener and friend-supported program. Your help with the show and expanding the evangelism events of Doug Murin is appreciated. You can write Doug Murin, Caught on Tape, at 1806 5th Street, Wenatchee, Washington, 98801 or online at dougmurinradio.com